Weird Things is brought to you by patreon.com slash weird things. Support the show. Hello and welcome to the Weird Things podcast. I'm Andrew Mean, joined by Justin Robert Young. Well, hello, friends. Mr. Brian Brushwood. Howdy, howdy. The, the heat approaches and uh, the withering begins and my AC bill climbs. I am the well, Nostradamus of <laughs> predicting of something. This week, of the temperature. You're a weatherman. A man who may bend with the wind but not wither. You're not even like a studied <laughs> meteorologist. You just like know what the clouds look like. How great, how great would the local weatherman be if he only spoke in quartets or <laughs> couplets? Or like, like the, the Star Trek The Next Generation, you know, like Fallis and the retreats yeah. of such and such. Yes. Only in references. <laughs> yeah. That was there was a funny meme. That was there was a Star Trek Next Generation episode where Picard has to learn how to talk to an alien who can only speak in metaphors, which seems neat. But they now say, like, man, you have to know that entire cultural history to understand those metaphors. And they took the gif of like he's like, oh, when you know such and such did this, and he's like, oh, you know when uh, you know and he responds like, oh, when the intense you know, when the ints attacked you know Saruman. <laughs> And you're like, oh, you know, like, oh, you know, we get it. All I had to do is just like Lord of the Rings references and everything would be totally understandable. I mean, that's shockingly close to the reality we have now with meme culture. It was really wild because that that was an out there device in the early 90s. By the way, hi, Bryce. How are you? Hi. Hi, Bryce. <laughs> I did also... introduce Bryce. You talked right over. Yeah, right well, I believe. Exactly. I, 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 uh, 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 Brian, speaking. I will. Andrew. I will not apologize. <laughs> Hello. I'm bringing I said, the Miami I said, when you're doing your weather analogy, I go, man, who may bend with the wind, but not wither as Mr. Price gets to you, but you're too to be There we go. Holding strong uh, through this segment of the show. To, Hello. to anybody who hadn't seen it, like in the early 90s, uh, uh, you know, Data says it's the equivalent of understanding the grammar of a language but lacking the vocabulary. And that was a interesting, wild problem for them to solve using universal translators in Star Trek. And now it's literally the way I talk to my teenage daughters, where it's like, I understand the grammar and syntax of meme culture, but I lack the vocabulary of what references they're making. Yeah. Well, like, uh, uh, during, during the race this weekend, like something very funny happened and on Reddit, everyone said the same exact thing in response. It was like a, an arrested development meme. And like, we all had the exact same first thought, which was this 20 year old show, uh, and and it was very funny. What's, I, it's I, one, I, it's I one point, Michael. What could it cost? Wait, wait, so your point was I used the... a meme this week. <laughs> yes. So okay, no, I just no, want to make sure that it wasn't a commentary so, on what we were saying. Rather, you just wanted meme. to point out just, that you made a meme. And it just says I used a meme this week. Yeah. I'm just I'm just very very glad that you were able to bring up F1 again because that's something that's so rare for you to bring up the fact that you're into F1 racing. The point is yeah. that, that everybody at the same time don't apologize, Brad. Had, had that had that. It's like <laughs> remember when they they announced uh, President Obama's national portrait, Justin. Of course, they, they, they yes. with the, the flowers. Portrait. Yeah, literally at the same time, we sent each other the same exact Simpsons gif of yes. Homer backing into the bushes. It was literally <laughs> blink, blink. They yeah. just popped up at the same time. <laughs> and so, right, it's not just that we use this way to talk. We think the same means, exactly. you know, in the, the yeah. timing. So 
it and is, that's what I was trying to say. Exactly. <laughs> Talk about I, agree with you. I, I, yes. I heard you, Bryce. Uh, I heard you. We've all used memes, <laughs> and, and no one should think different. Uh, Just in case, I'm tired of these rumors <laughs> that I don't use memes, that Bryce doesn't use. Bryce, Bryce uses memes all the I, time. If, if I could stop him, I would. But, you know, Michael, he's so fast at using memes. Fast as an F1 car. <laughs> he's the Max Verstappen of memes. Oh my God. Meme Verstappen. Oh my God. I'm, no, I'm shocked he got a name. He got a name. Right? It, it, it's not on the screen, I don't believe. No. He, wow. Bryce, you know, he does research for his insults. I know. I know. Exactly. Like, I, I, gotta, I have to give Bryce with an F1 thing, and I got to do a little F1 research. Like, Bryce's like, honey, got to be like, no. This may come up, and I need to have a reference that I can make. So it looks no, like I know look, I about. know a lot about F1 because people tweet about it a lot, which I take as God's retribution for me ever tweeting about wrestling. That's <laughs> like, like now that's that's my thing that is my omnipresent. Curse for you is empathy. Yeah. <laughs> you now realize what it's like about no, every third week of the year. Exactly, and now it's you know every week everyone's <laughs> like, oh, the the pole took the thing. No, I'm just, all right, that's awful. Oh, yeah, don't keep going. Uh, no, I'm what not. No, that's hack. That's terrible. I, I apologize. No, I don't apologize. <laughs> that goes against everything that a podcaster stands for. I'm not apologizing. Ser Sergio Perez comes in and slaps you across the face on live TV. <laughs> that's another racer guy. But he just it barely phases you, though. You're sort of like, uh, yeah, okay. but, Is uh, that it? I, I don't know. Mm. Uh, so, uh, gentlemen... Um, <laughs> I want to talk about the Russian invasion. Good. Oh I'm glad that we're. I'm glad. Oh, Venus 50 years ago. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. He did it. He did, he did it. it. 50 years ago, Russia, then the Soviet Union, landed a probe on Venus and it was able to last for a total of 50 minutes, which. Um, oh, I'm sorry. 5 0? I thought it was less than that. Um, let's check the I guess, I, I, and, and keep in mind, I'm drawing on uh, 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 grade school education the, where uh, I thought it melted like within Brian, five seconds. No, 50 minutes and 11 seconds. Oh, damn. Uh, that rounds so, uh, up to an hour. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, it does, Justin. Yes. It does. Yeah, I also use know. clocks. <laughs> If you read if you if you read science fiction for books from like the 30s and 40s, the idea that maybe Venus was like going to be like this tropical version of a fully tropical version of Earth with dinosaurs, anything like this, and the, and the cloud cover was just keeping them warm, just going to be nice and cozy. <laughs> then we realized that like it's an acidic atmosphere, rains of acid, the surface is super extremely hot, hotter than Mercury, is basically hell, and. The uh, Russians back then, like they weren't afraid. Like, yeah, we'll send a probe there. We're like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try Mars. We're gonna do that. Mars is kind of like Canada to us. So, like, well, and uh, in in that weird you know space race era, it makes sense to you know possibly. Uh, I, I would assume with spectroscopy, uh, spec, spectro spectroscopy, mm -hmm. they they would probably have an idea of what the atmosphere was made of. Um, but man, I love those old Ray Bradbury stories of representing it as a lush jungle environment, which you could almost buy. It's, it's exactly uh, earth sized, uh, constant cloud cover. So maybe it's reflecting a bunch of 
sunlight and so it's not that hot or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the hellscape uh, was there. But but imagine an alternate universe where basically the U.S. claims Mars and the Soviet Union claims a ru a, a lush uh, uh, jungle uh, Venus. Hmm. It seems like we would get the bad end, the short end of the stick on that one. I'm sure that's what they were hoping and, that and they could off report brand. to the citizenry. Oh. And <laughs> off-brand, because they should get the red planet. <laughs> that's right. That's their whole thing. It's, it is true. Their whole thing. Yeah, one of the, we one should of the secure it and trade it. <laughs> and one of the reasons they may have chose Venus was that uh, easier to sort of get there, a payload there than to Mars because mm. of the distance. But, but still, it needs, they did it. And I read... Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, there's a bread of book that was by Arthur C. Clarke written shortly after sort of the start of the space race. And he was talking about why did the Russians kind of leapfrog ahead of us? And it kind of came down to the talk, the idea of ballistic missiles, like in was belittled right around World War II. The idea, the problem was, is they're looking at V2 rockets and saying, you know, great, you have this rocket, but you only can put a payload of a few hundred pounds. That's not very practical. And then we built the first atomic bomb, which weighed tons. And they're like, yeah, it's not practical. You'd need a rocket that was, oh, I don't know, like, you know, able, you know, 200 ton rocket to be able to send something like this to another, you know, to land this on another continent. And we're like, yeah, so let's not pursue it. And the Russians were like, 200 ton rocket? Okay. And so they started building these massive heavy rockets while we were building smaller ones because the military didn't think there was a practical use for delivering warheads. One thing the Soviet Union was always good at is if it did not require a fundamental scientific advancement or an engineering breakthrough, but, uh, but maybe had the negative downside of being incredibly wasteful and just done on a very large scale, their system was pretty well built for that. Well, I, but I would say that their, their metallurgy like their, their, their metallurgical sciences were ahead of ours in many ways. And, and their engineering, if you go look at the engineering they did, the Russian engines are still among the best in the world, the quality. And so their engineers, if they could take, they, and to your point, they weren't going to, let's say necessarily, it wasn't an environment where it's going to be easy to create some new exotic sort of thing, but to take a thing of like, to have some people who could work with you, they were very good because you could assembly line metallurgical materials because you could have 30 people working and trying to figure out what alloys of nickel and whatever to do. But like their Korolev and their early rocket scientists, the best, among the best that have ever lived. But it was still like when you got into more complex systems, that was hard because like the Russians had built their, their massive, after he passed away, they tried to build their big, huge, massive rocket that had like, you had like 30 separate engines and they were using the combustive fuels that could kill like that those complex systems like yeah it fell apart because they just you know, you know that that there. was that was at the center of the famous kitchen debate uh, in 1959 with uh, Richard Nixon and Khrushchev where there was like a cultural exchange thing that uh, it was a a the the showing off of the United States kitchen the the American kitchen and uh, uh Nixon is there Khrushchev very arrogant uh, as as he was comes in and uh talks about how this is the example of the difference between the soviet union and america that america wants you to buy a new microwave every three years they want you to buy a new house every every four years and that the soviet union this is why we are better is that we build these things to last like this is this is the great pride of the soviet union you buy one house you live in it your entire life and your kids live in it uh, uh, afterward 
but it was it was a fundamental uh, the idea of built to last uh, versus let's upgrade you know uh, make it more disposable it, it was, was a fundamental thing it, to their uh, to their culture to their ideology but not the reality those things most no. a lot of the stuff just no as it as it turned out some people want a different microwave no matter how well built it is and and well, especially wanted, if they don't they wanted a they wanted yeah. a microwave. They didn't have them. They they did, just, yeah. There was no such thing as consumer microwave really in Russia because they couldn't manufacture that. And they would some some stuff like certain Russian trucks, that certain things were built like you look the Soyuz. That thing is built and designed is probably as well as you can take something from what we knew how to do in the 1960s and get this thing to like where it does every system is probably as efficient as it needs to be and redundant the way that it is. They're very good at a lot of things like that. Mm -hmm. am, am I, and it, it occurs to me that both you, Andrew, and Justin probably can correct me on this, but the I'm half remembering a story of why the Soviets were so good at mathematics. And, and I seem to remember that uh, the Soviet system uh, relied on a lot of um, talking and careful language. And in mathematics, you didn't have to engage in any of that. So it attracted a particular type of skilled talent to it. Uh, whereas like even agriculture, you have a, a Lysenkoism where, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're saying like uh, American agriculture is BS. Uh, this is the way it is. We, uh, forget your Punnett squares. Yeah. I think that's one of the factors, absolutely, is that because that, there were prior, but prior to the Soviet Union, you still had some some very amazing Russian mathematicians that made some interesting things. And a lot, in fact, in fact, like space science, too, and, you know, and things have come from there. But absolutely true that it was harder to politicize economics. You could politicize math was harder to politicize. Chess, chess was one of these games in the Soviet Union that was cheap and people could play and you could play chess and it was not political. Somebody could win a chess, you could have a chess ranking, you could have, you'd have chess clubs, etc. Chess, people who were good at chess tend to have an incline towards mathematics. And it was, didn't cost anything. To be a mathematical researcher versus in the absence of computers, it's not the same as if you're trying to do cutting edge research into alloys or semiconductors and things like this. Uh, you know what doesn't require cutting edge research is the decision to support this show. Sure, man. Patreon.com slash weird things is where you need to go. If you want to keep this show on the air each and every week, we come on here and talk about news of the weird. And sometimes I, I, I make fun of Bryce and I regret it. <laughs> I regret it. I regret it, but I won't, I we won't apologize. And round and I will not circles. apologize, but oh, internally okay. I regret it. This is like a monologue. A this is a monologue that I'm making. You made that, not me. <laughs> uh, 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 so head on over there, patreon.com slash weird things. Uh, uh, not only do you get the satisfaction of keeping the show in the air, but you also get the After Things podcast before anybody else, where we spill the beans on all the projects and numbers and strategies that we use to be creative professional. So head on over there right now, patreon.com slash Weird things. On uh, the subject of like Russian mathematics, um, there was the Russian mathematician, I'm going to try to pronounce his name right, uh, Tchaikovsky. He came up with a series of equations describing how rockets could work. And this was published in 1903. 1903 is when we know, and, you know Einstein published you know, general relativity, but also was when he published these equations. What's fascinating is that for years still, people would advocate like, oh, using rockets to travel in space. And their learned PhDs, like the Royal Astronomer and people who were super bright, were like, 
no, that won't work. You, you can't you can't do that because uh, you need to have something to push off of basic physics. And people who are trying to promote the idea of rocketry were just sort of shouted down in some places by educated people. Finally, you know, the rocket started to work. And when people talk about, you'll hear that like, oh, well, scientists say it can't be, you know, Arthur C. Clarke's the one who said that like, you know, when a scientist, an elderly scientist says something's possible, he's probably right, it's impossible, he might be wrong. But you'll hear people say, oh, that's not possible, whatever. And, but, and they're like, well, yeah, but they turned, this turned out to be true. In the case of rockets is you could say, well, no, here are these equations. Here's the guy that actually ran the math and no, it is, it is real. That person who said this does it. And when people talk about things like faster than light or whatever, and people go, oh, it's not possible. And people go, oh, well, they say that, like, maybe, but it's all like, we don't really have those equations. We have equations that say that inside relativity, maybe this could happen or whatever. And I think, I think that's often you find out a thing that somebody says wasn't possible. It, there was an entire body that said, yeah, no, the math works out. But other people were saying, yeah, but it's, you know, reusable rockets was another example. Like, oh, not possible. You're talking about a reusable rocket. Like, well, the math works out. Yeah, but no, you know, man flight. That was the thing where they say, no, yeah, you, you're not going to be able to have you know, heavier than air aircraft. That's an impossibility. Like, well, well, birds and <laughs> math. No, sorry, can't be done. Yeah, and like, they were right. You know, what is uh, what, what what's the idea that technology increases at, at an exponential rate? Like, it we it, it kind of has to when we keep kind of breaking through frontiers of technological advancements, right? As things get more miniaturized or use less power or more power efficient or have what have you um it, it we have to keep inventing things beyond our imagination of what is you know reasonably yeah. feasible to uh, a fun book is arthur c clark's profiles of the future he wrote this in 1962 and then he updated it again at like 1999 um and he left everything in there including he has an entire chapter talking about ground effect vehicles effectively hovercraft and how they were going to probably become the predominant form of transportation on land, you know, and like, because they're like, oh, hovercrafts or this are great, blah, blah, blah. And you like, think this is what they can do because you don't need to have a port. You can just go across an ocean, pull up on land, you know, roads. You don't have to maintain your roads. You're just all in on hovercrafts. And then in the 1999 update, he's like, uh, yeah, I was a bit off on that. And he says, I actually, when I was, I had a, when he's like an Indonesian, a Sri Lanka, he says, I actually had a hovercraft imported for my personal use, for me to use. And I tried to drive, I drove it up on a beach, ripped apart the shirt, the skirt, and it stranded it on the beach. And he goes, that was the last time I drove anything. <laughs> wow. So that was it. He was all in on hovercraft and he's like, well, this is terrible. And that was bicycle. it. <laughs> and he realized you can't control him. He says, there's no way you take it down a street because he didn't realize the factory and you can't steer. They're really, they just, because they just, you know, going to go wherever they're going to go. He realized how hard they are to control and all the other difficulties there. And he's like, there's some, some places where they're useful, but he says, oh yeah, no, this is the way I envisioned these things. Like I didn't factor in that they were how, basically how like inefficient they were. Yeah. Yeah, they were basically then, uh, uh, hot air balloons that you had a fan on the back of <laughs> that you could just yeah. sort of vaguely direct yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's just the fact that 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 what I read, I'm like, that's an amazing story. I've never heard before. The Arthur C. Clarke's like, like the last time he ever tried to drive anything was to, you know, to see for himself how good of a hover hovercraft was for personal transportation. <laughs> and they, uh, meanwhile, um, where, where are we at? If we're going to wildly speculate on, you know, we, we we love reporting on the latest crazy quadcopter, the latest green goblin glider, or whatever. Um, 
do, do we think there's much there or, uh, or because by virtue of being electric, they are going to be energy efficient. However, by virtue of being electric, they can fall from the sky. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, how optimistic are you about the quadcopter rev revolution? Uh, I mean, I, me personally, I, I think that if, if we're worried about the reliability, then, I mean, you could, you could connect with, you can predict with like kind of battery technology where you're going to get at a power density, where you're going to be happy with it. And I, I think that for practical commercial use, I'm just spitballing here, but I think we're eight to 10 years away before you're really going to be happy with the, the, the battery, the bat for suburban utility going point to point in city that the battery density is going to probably be good enough for being able to build a crap like that. So if we say that, and the question is the safety factor of the thing failing, then you're going to need to add, if, if, it's, if there's a liability, then you need to add in what's going to be the extra weight of, 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 a, of a really good safety system. And parachutes aren't the only one, or inflatable bags. There's, you know, we, we now, you look at wingsuit technology, we know a lot more now about how to design systems that capture air and, you know, things that slow you down. And so I think that, you know, that might be a next step is where we have like, because like you can, you can have like pants. parachutes attached. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoa! Did, um, did, do do you think that? Because to me, the first thing I think of is we'll never get past the noise. They're just so loud. Any, mm -hmm. Anything that flies like that. Uh, but you know, then again, you know, we uh, went to uh, uh, Miami and, and experienced an outdoor park that had a bunch of noise canceling speakers that that oh. canceled out traffic noise so that people could sit in the park and listen to an orchestra. I mean, yeah, I think that. Your, 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 point, your point about noise is very, that's very key. Because I, I remember I, I was having lunch with somebody in down Beverly Hills or somebody. He's a, he was a bit of a futurist guy. And he was talking about how Elon Musk was dumb to try to build, you know, Hyperloop tunnels. And I'm like, I don't know. But I'm like, I certainly see an advantage to having really efficient tunneling technology because the all the extra space that you create commercially. And I hadn't thought about it, but he's like, oh, but flying cars. I'm like, cool. Count all the cars around here. Now think of the average sound, as you pointed out, and now imagine that they're flying directly overhead. How loud is that going to be? And, and he'd never even thought about the sound levels. I said, you're, we're used to listening to one. Imagine 40 or 50 in a one-mile radius, and it's ridiculous. But like you said, we might use back-to-the-future-style flying car corridors using noise-canceling things. That might be the way that you say, okay, you know, we, to, in the areas we get. Because, like, we do have that. There may be, I've speculated, there may be a a black hole in certain patent applying uh, applications for we, when we sent in the helicopter to helicopters to go kill Osama bin Laden, um, part of the, the loss was they had special blades were designed to lower the sound, not dramatically, but mm. that's, that's a very big area of stealth technology is lowering the sound that propellers give off and like shapes and things like this. So there might be a lot of technology that we already have that could mitigate that, but it's just sitting somewhere in some filing cabinet or it's on some military base. Uh, that's one of those things. When I think back to my childhood memories, uh, I, I grew up in Huntington Beach uh, until the age of five or six. And when I think back to those memories, one of the things I, I remember vividly is the sound of, of planes going overhead. And then at some point, I just stopped ever hearing planes going overhead. And then we bought this seven acres, and there's it's a, it's a valley that goes down 150 feet. And down at the bottom of the valley, 
I noticed, oh, wow, I'm hearing a lot of planes for the first time in forever. And I just, it, it never, I never paused to consider how much of my life I spend either indoors, insulated from, you know, uh, outdoor sounds, or just hearing traffic constantly at all times where you're not going to hear any planes. And crazy thing to think about how geography affects landscape in Scandinavia, where you have fjords and you have places like that, you have yodeling. And in places that are flatter plains, like uh, the American plains in Africa, you have drums. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, because different, uh, 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 you know. High pitch versus low pitch. Yeah, exactly, yeah. are going to travel differently. Oh, wow. So. Noise, man. It's a real thing. Some of these noise. Anyway, yeah. Elon Musk got COVID. <laughs> he did he loves yeah. it yeah. he didn't already have it i think he said he had it again oh, yeah wow. but this time he had no symptoms who knows man i don't know everyone's out here getting this covid something bad yeah. uh <laughs> we're still doing it's that. uh yeah are, are we still uh, doing COVID? Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, yeah, back in the 80s covid be driving like this although <laughs> <laughs> uh Although I did, uh, I was I was a bit shocked. Uh, it, it was either one in twelve. I think it was one in sixteen uh, Britons in the UK just have have the new strain of COVID, super, super infectious. So it is. What was my prediction? Your prediction was COVID. That COVID's exists. Cool. We make a everybody gets COVID this year. That was my twenty twenty two. Everybody's going to get COVID. It's Omicron. Like that. That's thing. We we shared something with, uh, since last Monday, which was. Countries that were doing lockdown strategies, uh, and again, I mean, everybody's got to figure out their own sort of strategy. The beginning, you know, Sweden looked like that was working really well. Like, and then like, remember this term, everybody? Herd immunity. Yeah, herd yeah. immunity. Kind of uh, turns out it's hurt. Yeah. Abusing. Yeah, yeah, Brian. How did that previous dose of COVID <laughs> oh, help you with the next dose of COVID? You could have just. Just had just, a nice no, signal. he wanted to go for it all. And got none of it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, there was actually a really good, uh, I think it was in the New Yorker, uh, but an article about two things. Number one, the kind of graveyard of, uh, uh, different metrics for which we have chased, uh, uh, and some of them get retired and some of them just get memory hold and some of them go away and then come back of like, what's good, what's bad. Herd immunity is one of them that has totally fallen down the, the, the memory hole of like, well, if we can get. X amount of people vaccinated or, or they have natural immunity, then that would uh, have, a, have a factor. But the, the meat of the article was trying to, and there's a few places that are tracking this, just tracking solely excess deaths, uh, country by country, and trying to see whether or not there's any different factors there. Uh, because while those stats may or may not be perfect, they are at least not variable based on testing regimes or things like that. And so, uh, and that's fascinating to, to look at because as it stands now in terms of COVID deaths, if you look at it on, on any of the, the publicly available stuff, the United States has far and away the, the most, but in excess deaths, we're somewhere around like 47th or, or, or 48th um, from when the, the, the onset to it. So, and excess deaths will also include, um, 
stuff that either, depending on how you squint, uh, is totally un-COVID related or COVID related, for example, um, uh, uh, Justin sent me an article saying that alcohol related deaths for people under 65 up 25 percent. More people under 65 died from booze related things than COVID. In, in the first year. Yeah, in, 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 in 2020. In, in the lockdown year, yeah. Yeah, in, in the big lockdown year, yeah. More people, it was slightly more, but it was more uh, uh, than, than had officially died of, of COVID under 65. So there's a new report that came out that was trying to look at Sweden's strategy because Sweden's strategy initially seemed like, we'll just go to COVID, we'll go to herd immunity, whatnot, see it and where it goes. And a lot of people said, well, that's the way to go and that's the way to do. And then it turned out to... They now have like a way higher mortality rate than other places compared to countries. And somebody did a report like what went wrong. And it basically was they basically chose one camp who to believe for all the stuff. And then yeah. that was it. Instead of continuously, they said, well, these people seem to know what's going on. They're going to be our experts throughout this pandemic rather than let's bring in multiple voices, credible scientific voices and keep assessing as we go. And I think that needs to be probably the strategy of everyone. You're not always gonna, they're not always going to consensus give you the best point of view on this. Somebody, you know, one extreme point might be right one out of five times and look like they're extremely right or whatever. The, the, the herd immunity seemed like a good idea when we thought the rate of mutation would be such that, you know, it wasn't going to mutate out of this. And that that's where it wasn't going to mutate on 19 different proteins at once. <laughs> like, it, yes, uh, there, there's an article today Which, in the New York Times that uh, it's an opinion piece about just sort of guesstimating where stuff's headed. And and they uh, they have this graphic representation of of just like, you know, you get one mutation here, one mutation there. And then it's like and then here's uh, Omicron and it's just all these red spikes up at once. And it's like and and it's probably not going to stop there. And that's the, I'm going to bring it back because it is the most important scientific question of our century, which is the zoonotic or lab leak hypothesis. And to people, there are people with PhDs who say, what does it matter? What difference does? And I understand if you're not, don't get the science, don't know to think, what, why do we need to label blame? It's not really, imagine a computer virus was tearing apart computer systems and we still weren't able to stop it. And somebody's like, would you like to talk to the person who made it and see their source code? And you go, does it matter? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, real quick, going back to the idea of everybody lumping in with one kind of school of thought. Uh, a thing that, that I was thinking about this weekend is that there really seemed to be a merging of two camps that I felt that I feel especially more so now needed to have a, a line of delineation to it. And that is scientific consensus for which is chaotic and always evolving and there are no sacred cows and things that we thought yesterday can be untrue tomorrow if the right things are presented and then separately public health officials because public health officials their job is very different than the scientific community and i feel like that kind of became one especially during the first few uh, uh, years of the pandemic because the public health official, and look, it's an important job, but their goal is to make a call on something and then and it better be work so with their populace. Everybody that, can follow Exactly. It. They have to make decisions. They have to, like their job is not to f quote unquote, follow the science. The scientific consensus should be to follow the science. Their job is to pick the thing that they believe will help the people the most and make it as clear and transparent as possible. While hopefully keeping a, a, a line of dialogue and trust between the people that they are governing. And 
I think the, the, the combining of those two, follow the science. Here are the scientists. The scientists are public health experts. They're not. They should be two different well, things. Hold up. Let's say for vaccines, the FDA has their decision group and they had a panel of advisors. They oh, went no. To. oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. So you're saying they should follow if the advisors are like, hey, no, we really shouldn't do this, whatever. And there's maybe a majority or it was nowhere clear as that, that the FDA should probably be inclined to follow that decision because that's the scary situation we're in is where hey man my what stupid is it, understanding of things what does it matter what kind of government mess got us in this <laughs> well, it's like well, we're gonna get a group of people together and we're gonna they say well we don't like what they said you chose these people yeah you chose them you know, yeah. like, like what's did alex jones sneak in there like what happened like like no and, and it's like i don't I agree. I think that I totally agree. That's the problem is that often we'll be like, well, this person said this, they're a PhD. Yes, that person's been an administrator for 30 years and his name may be involved in research, but he's never touched a pipette. They've always been the person that gets the grants and stuff. And their job is to bring money. Their job is to bring money to the facility they work for. That is entirely it. If they don't do that, they don't, they don't progress. If they do it really well, and that may be Hey, we had a problem. How can we mitigate? How can we get rid of this problem as quickly as we can within the letter of the law or not get in trouble, whatever? How do I get more money for this? I don't care really about the implications because I'll be gone. It's the same greed that you have in corporate America. Uh, One last footnote that that just sticks in the back of my mind is uh, uh, just remembering that the uh, evolutionary pressure on a disease um, is to become more contagious uh there there is a temptation to link that with be less lethal but there's no reason to necessarily expect that to be the case which uh if if you're sleeping too well here's hi i'm brian brushwood are you sleeping too much are you sleeping through the whole night i'm sleeping eight 18 hours a day (laughs) let me just uh remind you that uh at any given point, something could be very contagious and get even more contagious and also become it, very deadly. <laughs> it's like the invisible, invisible hand. Now. Is that people make the assumption like, invisible hand, I'm not capitalism, how does it work? Like, well, you got to look at the time frame. Over time, yes. If Ebola gets 30 years in a population of 10 trillion humans to evolve through, by the end of it, Ebola will be pretty inert yeah. and we'll be yeah. fine uh, with it. Ebola's last thought will be, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But meanwhile, but all the humans will it, be dead. <laughs> but if we give it enough people, eventually, but we may run out of people before the virus has a chance to yeah. mutate to something. It's math. It's like, yeah, like, oh, like with like Omicron, like, yeah, like you said, like, nine different places of the protein could, you know, change. Like, man, you know, I, know, I wanted to design a thing. Uh, oh. uh, I, I'm, we've talked about it before, but. It's really astonishing. I, I, I spent a good like six months uh, my on an, an airplane uh, mobile game to play was Plague LLC, uh, where basically you play as the disease trying to infect all of humanity and eventually kill them all. And there really are two phases. You want to be very infectious early on. But not lethal. But exactly. And then you use your power ups to become, you know, sneezable or, or infectious surfaces or, and every so often you have to have something like nausea or whatever. And then, but eventually them, them tricky humans start going to work, trying to figure out how to vaccinate against you. But the toughest thing is to get into Iceland. You've got to get into Iceland as fast as you can. It's all Iceland. And Madagascar. Uh, yes, exactly. Okay, yes, exactly. But I'm really astonished at how those lessons became intuitive. And, and uh, I was going to say, like, 
<laughs> everything y'all were saying was like, yeah, I've played Plague Inc. I know. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> First you get more contagious, and then you get more lethal. <laughs> yeah. And that's that would be what kind of a segue, too. Uh, I want a little bit of self-promotion um, and talk about something, which is I think games and learning through games is an amazing way to sort of, we've, we've been building games for the entirety of human history to learn stuff. You know, puppies will play with objects and play with, they'll invent little games and push it over here, do this. We like the idea of simulating a thing to understand something because it lets our nervous system learn all these different outcomes. If I do this, what happens if I do that? If I do this and observing something's one stage of that, but then experimentation and say, well, if I do that. So gameplay, I think is essential. Uh, uh, OpenAI, of which I work, so disclosure there, and I'm the science communicator for, among other things. Um, one of the things we just announced is we had a year ago, we announced a model called uh, Codex, which is able to generate computer code. You give it comments, it produces code. And that got built into a tool into VS Code, which is a Microsoft tool for working on like, you know, coding. And, it has become extremely popular. It is like a tremendous amount of code that's put, we've talked about this, it's being code generated, it's now using a computer to assist it. We unveiled a couple of weeks ago, a new model that's been a little bit improved, some little tweaks here and there. And I played with it extensively because I was very curious to see how well natural language could create code entirely. Could you build entire applications through natural language? Could you just give it a series of instructions using this new model and have it build something? And so I spent uh, you know, a couple of weeks just playing around, experimenting. I put up a blog post and found out that like the new model, like I was able to build a minimal version of Legend of Zelda where you control the character and moved around. And each time you moved off screen, it created a new screen for you. I could have replaced it with sprites of, of objects, but I just wanted to keep it as simple and everything, everything was done in JavaScript. I figured out how to make a version of Wordle using this holy cow with, wow you know and that was the I, if you link to it on the on my website i have i link to code pens where you can see the actual that but you'll see the uh you see the instructions that i gave it and so i just say i gave it a word list i say letter inputs and so those are the instructions wow it's uh, even can, still can, in the javascript uh, if, if, if you don't mind can can i read some of this for the audio listeners like yeah, like this is the fair. instructions literally literally say one secret word Create a function to generate a secret word from this list. Apple, Bible, drink, earth, fable, there's a few more. Select a secret word. Print it to the console. Two, letter inputs. Create five text input boxes that accept only one letter. Make the letter centered in the box. Make the boxes 19% of the width of the, uh, the div wide, div wide uh, uh, and 100 pixels tall. Give each input an ID. Add them to the document. Align the row in the center. Three, make the letters uppercase when they're added. Uppercase each letter. Four, submit button. Create a submit button. Add it to the document. Uh, make the button as wide as the boxes, 22 pixels. Make the text 22 pixels. Add it to the document. Five, check letters. Check, if e check each user input if the letter case one. If the letter is in the secret word, change the input background of that letter to yellow. Case two, if the letter is in the word and in the same position as the letter in the secret word, make the input background of that letter green. Wow. Case three, if the letter isn't this in the secret word, make the background white. Case four, if the user letters match the secret word letters print, you win. Uh, and that's what? it. That's amazing, <laughs> that Andrew. Is that is stunning. That that's is mind-blowing. Half of that, a good part of that was me trying to do styling, which I could have solved through doing just using an, an external library to do that, or you could train a model to be more specific or whatever. Um, 
uh, you might have to pop to the open of the widescreen to get the full view on that. But uh, that's how advancing and, and, and you know, in OpenAI, obviously I'm biased because I think we do, we do amazing research there, but other companies are working on code code systems too. And and this was an eye opener for a lot of people because I took a model that's a commercially, like a, a model that's a beta for people to play with and showed what you could do with this without trying to create any other special, I didn't create any special software to work with it, to take my things. I literally told the model, now it didn't work every time. Like I had to keep trying to figure out the right phrases, the right way to talk to it. Cause it was sometimes like, does it know what I mean on a box here? Does it not? And you notice that I'm still using some terms like div and elements, but that's, this is, we came out with Codex eight months ago and this is where we are now. And I, I, you know, I had people ask me like, well, should I still learn to code? And I'm like, well, yeah, because you've got to learn how to break things down into what each thing does. You oh, know, holy. if you, if, if <laughs> this is my favorite, I'm sorry, uh, Bryce just rolled over a thing. <laughs> Can you please Bryce in full explain, uh, uh, uh Andrew made matrix rain. And uh, this is very complex, obviously. Right. So, Bryce, can you please read the, in this full? This is that, that right. cool-looking green text. Coming yeah, the down. way when, yeah. when when they're looking into the matrix. Yeah, of course. In, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here's the code. A matrix rain. One. Create canvas. Create a canvas and add it to the document. Two. Rain. Create a matrix rain effect with letters. End it of knew. code. And it, it works. Matrix rain. That <laughs> effectively is, is the coding. Per, like, yeah, holy crap. I mean, well, I mean how far off are we? That, that's, that's a cultural reference. That's but, not. But let me explain up. But that was that was clearly, it knew that it, that I was more impressed with Wordle because it didn't, it never yes. seen Wordle. Didn't yes. know what Wordle was. Right. No idea what this, this, somebody, somebody had learned what this effect was. So it's like, oh, I got you. I know what this is. Yeah. Well, and and uh, as uh, that's the most impressive thing, the fact that uh, OpenAI is able to uh, peek around the internet and just sort of like, what does that mean? Let me figure it out. Okay, I got it. And if we get to a place where it's like, um, make Half-Life 2, but starring the Mythbusters and the Combine are all Agent Smiths and there's uh, a... Uh, Tumblr lock puzzle, kind of like Bioshock, that shows up every five minutes. And you know, uh, it, it makes something like uh, uh, what is it called? Info infograph? Is that what it is? the Google infograph? Uh, it it makes the uh, that is basically their system that they use in the search engine to know what things are. Right. So the infograph knows. Oh, uh, 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 ten things I hate about you is a movie. It knows that it the infograph and, and it probably knows that it's based on the Shakespeare play and, and what year it came out and who's in it and all that stuff. And uh, you know, a lot of that is like, okay, I guess you've just found a way to repackage Wikipedia. But for something like this, where that that is finely formatted data of cultural uh, cultural moments. You can now you can plug into the computer and say, make me a matrix thing. Well, and, and it knows that. And, and suddenly it has a, a it has a, a certain amount of humanity. There's a certain amount of humanity for no, knowing human culture, isn't there? Well, and uh, given like we've already played around with uh, introducing like the first few lines of a back then it was night attack. Now it's great night episode and then it came comes up with this plausible episode where tom Merritt shows up or teller says hi i'm glad to be here and all that stuff like w imagine two lines of code make a great night episode face swap all three main characters and then and then it just does it it, it invents it and then all of a sudden justin is behind the board you know huh. yeah the, hey. the, a criticism about that you would keep <laughs> 
you'd, you'd hear you'd hear a criticism about these large language models about like, well, it's just regurgitating things are read. And like the case where you said where, hey, great, great, and it spits out its version of an episode of Great Night. And people go like, oh, well, what's the use of that? And it's like, well, you got to, you got to, now you got to do something clever. You go, you know what this is? Like you just said, now do it with this. What if so-and-so is a guest? What if they're interviewing Mr. T? And it will create an entirely new thing that it was never trained on. And that's what people miss out on. One of the things I try to explain, because there are critics of deep learning, like, oh, it's just, it's just Wikipedia or Google search speeding out. Like, I can, I, when I do demos, I say like, well, I'm going to come up with two things that we haven't seen, you know, which is like, you know, like, let's, let's imagine a crossover between this and this, you know, and, you know, something new that it, like, I'll describe a TV show, like, you know, Severance or something on Apple, and I'll say, plus this, what would you do? And it generates a scenario, I'm like, where did that come from? Well, and and the, then, well, it's just mixing this. The, the, but, but there's, there is incredible uh, value in blind spots. Uh, for example, when I, when I did that fake beginning of a nine attack episode, I would hit generate. And at first it was like, you know, Tom Merritt shows up as a guest, Veronica Belmont shows up as a guest, uh, you know, friends of our teller shows up as a guest, but then it would start coming up with people whose names I didn't recognize. And I would look them okay. up and I was like, Oh, we should book them. And all of a sudden I realized yeah. this is a functional booking engine and then all so so basically take this uh, uh, two steps one generate an episode um, uh, uh, publish a list of one thousand guests that appear in in various iterations of this episode uh, print to word document and then and then you know and then maybe maybe step three is find their publicly available contact information and. Uh, and I guess step four would yeah. be auto-generate a invitation to to yeah. up all the code. Step five, <laughs> just create the interview, and we'll just say we did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a thing that 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 uh, a thing called embeddings, which is a, a very it's becoming more of a hot area in in machine learning. It's been around for a while. There's some really cool resources on it. Um, and embedding is basically they we used to be like word embeddings, which is you try to find out what word's similar to another word, like dog is similar to puppy, you know, because they're kind of close. And you can imagine in a three-dimensional space, the word dog here and puppy here and cat a little further away, and then motorcycle much further away. And you can give each word an XYZ position, right? So you give dog an XYZ position and puppy, which is close to its position. And then you can, you can compute what's the dot, called the dot product to figure out how close they are. And if you said, I have motorcycle way off over there, and you compute the dot, dot product of that with puppy, you'll see motorcycles much further away than dog. So you all track, yep, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then that got extended. People said, we could do that with phrases. Instead of just like words is to actually do entire phrases and create these complex sort of, and instead of being X, Y, Z, it might be like, you know, one of the more LL, there's like, a, you know, one model out there does something like 600 dimensions. So it's got 600 different, you know, positions to help describe where it is to relate to stuff. And you can do really meaningful stuff. So let me get to where I'm going. So you could start saying, you could put, we, we, really, we took our, 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 our models, our GPT-3 models, and we use them to produce uh, vectors that have thousands of dimensions, right? So you could create Tom Merritt and Tom Merritt's bio, and let's say do that with 100,000 other people. And then you could say, I want somebody like Tom Merritt, and it would give you a list of who matches closest to it, even though the words may never be the same, and it might be somebody who, Said, oh, you know, this guy went to the same sort of kind of college Tom did and also went into tech. He might make a really good fit for you, too. 
et cetera. So that's what betting is. There's just a, a big exploiting space. Uh, 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 the XYZ coordinate system, when you talked about the, the puppies being adjacent to dogs, uh, um, uh, a very human leap that I never would have expected AI to be capable of suddenly becomes uh, obviously possible. Um, like for example, uh, 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 let's say the the z-axis is time. You know, at the beginning you have you have a puppy being born, you have a dog. There's a, a slightly off center is companionship and affection, uh, and, and and love and stuff. But if you go forward on the time axis, then you come to a dead dog, and a dead dog could be um, maybe maybe slightly to the left of uh, 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 roadkill on a highway, mm. uh, but but another z-axis dead dog would be the imagery of the the poetic imagery of the rainbow bridge, which is where uh, you know uh, pet owners uh, like to think that their dogs go, where they'll wait for them, you know, when they go to heaven or whatever. So then all of a sudden, if 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 the system knows that, you you can you know one line of code uh, write a five minute story about companionship that will make me cry. And they will know to, like, it will know to use the poetical imagery of the Rainbow Bridge and not the crass imagery of roadkill at the end. One of the things that's cool is that uh, when in our announcement, um, uh, I want to make sure I, I stay on message here, is, <laughs> is as these things become more... Uh, powerful as these things become higher you know, fidelity. more capable yeah one of the things we did with the update to our models we introduced the ability that you could take text and i used examples of like simple examples i could take text like you know uh, i decided to go to the store and then i drove home with my case of diet soda and you can say now tell the model insert in between here add something between here i know where it starts i know where it ends fill out the middle and so it's able to figure out, like, there's an example we have there, uh, which is inserting text in the middle of text. And so I found, actually, if you numbered the sections, it was very good at staying with there and it wouldn't invent new sections. So this is the idea where you could make, like, lists and stuff and do things like this. But you could say, I have a beginning of a story and end of a story. Can you add to what it? Is, what is the middle? What is, what is the conflict? What is the, the relatable is, thing? Well, and, and this also speaks to the structure of good speech writing, where it's like, uh, uh, list the things you did. List 10 things that, that happened to you on your trip to the grocery store. And then the speech writing bot would know that, that, uh, that every, you know, let's say 90 seconds, you need to have a surprise of some variety or an aside or a joke or, or, or what have you, something to give that that heartbeat i mean like kevin smith is brilliant at this it's like well let, let's you, let let I me mean, if we focus on the on the on the uh, examples there of just what what happens in those price i don't know if you can bring that back up uh but but it, it is it is fascinating to see just like if you put uh, so right now it says high school graduation and moving to the farm and so the the idea of this being able to come up with conflicts which is like the heart of all storytelling right right where, where you start and where you end and the journey in between them that is a story like that's remarkable the the, the fact that this thing just learns and spits out uh, uh uh those i mean just as i mean i don't know and that that's why the whenever there's anybody who's like ah you know that's just wikipedia that's just google spitting it out no, it's like it's not it's like <laughs> you are fundamentally making the assumption that you understand what all of Google and all of Wikipedia Holy are cow, just or made could a spit out. 
uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, it says, write a poem about uh, GPT-3. I'm a very nice AI. I'm pretty good at writing replies. When I'm asked a question, I give my suggestion. This is a poem I wrote, and I guess the last one. Yeah, and I made a, a poem that rhymes. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that is incredible. And like the actual wording changes, uh, like, by, by saying make this in the voice of GPT-3, yeah. it changes some of the word selection. You say format it like a letter and sign it from GPT-3, and it adds dear human and kind regards. Wow, that is really, really powerful stuff, Andrew. Look how when OpenAI did GPT-2, it was a very interesting thing, and it was doing some neat stuff, and we talked about GPT-2 on, on those very microphones here. We talked about that. And that got my got my excitement up, and I went to GitHub and I read GitHub where people put code. I read every single output of GPT two, and I was fascinated to try to understand how it was trying to work internally. When GPT three came out, and OpenAI, because of uh, the kindness of one of our listeners, actually said, "Hey, maybe Andrew, you'd like to play with this." And I played with it, and because I was obsessed about GPT two, you know, I realized like I'm like, this is going to be big. This is so much bigger than than I really thought it could have been. It feels like a long time ago, but it's only two years ago. And it is it is less than two years, it was two years ago, like this month or whatever, when I got asked to come in there and I feel like I've lived a lifetime during this period. When, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know I wouldn't know what happened what else happened in the past twenty-four months. <laughs> you know, that was a that was a footnote for me, to be honest with you, because being able to play with these technologies, you yeah. know, the human tragedy that befell us. But my point is is the rate at which since then now, like uh, Wired had an article that we, we actually mentioned in, but they talked about like the code model and they go, it's like GPT-3 for code. And I'm like, the fact that they use GPT-3 in the headline, yeah. GPT-3 for code tells you, but what I'm saying since then, there are brilliant people at other places and there's other amazing technologies. And, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a company man, but man, like I'm amazed at what's going on elsewhere. And it started this race of other people developing stuff and advancing it. And this is how fast we came in such a short period of time. I do not think it's going to slow down. Uh, I think it's going to accelerate. Right now, uh, I assume some form of limited access is available to anybody who signs up or anybody, any, anybody can apply now and get like immediate access. If you go to openai.com and you click apply, it's a very fast thing. You just have to check some boxes and stuff. So we do that. Uh, there is still limitations. Like uh, if you're in a country bombing another country right now, maybe not. But is, is, um, uh, is there any? Um, uh, I, I guess I'll I'll not be coy about it. Um, can can uh, should I encourage my daughters to start messing around with this stuff? Because like I, I think about how we have a generation of kids who grew up playing roller coaster tycoon, and they intuitively understand how effective uh, it is to have a spectacular attraction and then do price gouging like they understand economics on a fundamental level so here's here is here is the thing about large language models and this is and everybody needs to use this to their to their and this is this is this is a challenge and this is a thing to say and, I, and if i say you know i don't give it the amount of due attention that people feel that it deserves trust me i believe it deserves a lot of attention Large language models are trained by, models like this are generally trained by looking at things people say. Right. And so when you have a large model, it's trying to pretend it's saying something what somebody says. It looks at text and says, okay, in everything I've ever read, how should I finish this? It's not 
a personality. It's not an entity that we created that is the sentient, you know, self-aware. I am GP3. It is a system. It is a system that completes text based upon what it was trained on. So if you trained it on the internet and Reddit and things like this, and you start off something that if you came across that and Reddit or the internet and you didn't properly scope it, it might say something awful. You know, it might say something mean. It might it might start making you know, a comedy routine. It might do this. Now, if you pre- if you preface it by saying, and we have models that have proved upon it, but we kind of trained away its ability to create in other spaces, but that could be very useful. So that's the thing I'd say is like understand, you know, like a random search on Google or whatever, because if you use it, you might get a bad word, you might get a thing, you might get something that might be offensive. There, there, there are stereotypes in there because of learn from some of the some of our bad habits and stuff. And that is an ongoing effort of an AI overall. Every, you know, everyone's to improve on that. Oh, so my what, thing would be like, what was the example of the Microsoft bot? Was it Tay or something where they fed it a bunch of terrible stuff and it became terrible? Yeah. It- well, and that, that's a it's it's a. Yeah, I mean, there, there are systems where like researchers, you know, with really good intentions have put things out there to hope that people could do that and don't realize that people are going to try to red team them instead. So uh, bas- basically, uh, uh, parental guidance suggested. <laughs> I, yeah, and so yeah. I would, yeah, that's my advice. I, if I had children that I knew of, uh, although some, <laughs> some, well, some mom in Australia accidentally put my email address. And so I get all these updates from an Australian school about these Australian kids and oh. when they're in and out. And I've been trying to like, this is not my kid. I have like, it's just, you know, so, uh, but if I had a kid, yeah, I'd be, I'd, love to do I'd be showing them how to do this. I want them to understand the stuff, the, the capability. I, I've been able to have a lot of fun and a lot of impact with our models, uh, because I started with studying GPT-2 and playing around with it. And then when you look through a lot of the dark documentation and stuff, you'll see a lot of stuff that I put in there because I just, just spent so much time playing with it. I wonder... Um... You know, I work with people who are way smarter than me, way, way, way smarter than me. I just have a lot of spare time and like to play with stuff. And so I, I advise people to play with this stuff and see what you can do. Yeah, I'm going to jump back into playing with it, uh, uh, yeah. especially seeing just how extraordinary it's evolved uh, since I last mm-hmm. speaked. And, and the thing that I would advise to anybody who's creative wants to play with it, you're going to see, you'll see the examples, the list of examples we came up with. Internally, we go look at a stuff thing. We try to play with it. We try to go look at it all. You know, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I'll go interject myself and say, oh, I can come up with some ideas too. Or like, those are horrible ideas. Why does everything have to be about Chewbacca? Like, just because. <laughs> um, but anyhow, you'll see this long list of examples right now. Um, I believe I wrote most of these. These are the tutorials, like how to do stuff. There's other stuff, new ones in there, but a lot of these were ones that I came up with just by sitting down and going. And if somebody else there had time to do it, they would have done it. But I got, like, okay, I'll just try to make a bunch of these examples. Uh, some, stuff, some of the or, examples for audio folks are like uh, analogy maker, JavaScript, one-time function, third-person yeah. converter. And there are a million better examples than the ones here. There are a million better ones, and it just comes down to somebody sitting down there and saying, "Could it do this? Could it do this? Could I? Could I do blank?" And so I encourage people: don't look at what we've done and say that's all it can do. Look yeah. at what we've done and say that's a starting point. Because the best ideas, I was able to help out because we have these mm-hmm. super smart researchers that have to spend their time trying to figure out how to build these things, mm-hmm. and they don't get enough time to play with them. And so I got to play, and then. You know, other people who play contribute. It's 
Just, uh, it's, what, it's an amazing period. What, one last question, uh, functionally, for a little bit of tech support. Is, is it um, uh, something that you manually feed stuff in, or can it just, you send it out to the internet and just expect it to find whatever you want? For example, my daughter is working on her first novel. She's 20,000 words into it. And uh, I, I, I wonder if what would happen if I copied that 20,000 words, put it in as, as, as a seed, and then solve where where the uh, uh, the bot would take so, it from there, it, it, <laughs> and you can beat her to finishing the novel. You're like, hey, yes. I finished your book. So, You'll right. never beat so, me. <laughs> here's here's the big limitation. Right now, the current model, the limitation is about is about fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred words. Okay. Okay. You can give it. You can give it a little summary of a chapter and give it some dialogue, and it will continue on of what say what happened before. But it can't process that entire twenty thousand words. Got it. Got but, it. But you could anything you can fit within a two thousand words, like fifteen hundred words. But you do words. you do have to feed it something first, or or can it just you can just expect? I guess you know what. Uh, even you are you are you are looking you are looking to train out. the model. Yeah. As opposed to asking you can, it. You you can. We do offer model training where you can actually take a bunch of text. Let's say, uh, you know. You were Tom Merritt, and you decided you wanted the Tom Merritt bot. We could take all of Tom's books, yeah. train the model on them, and then give it start some characters talking. If it cared for those characters before, it would start continuing on to those characters. We could train it entirely on Great Night transcripts. Yeah. And you would be spooked by how good it would be at predicting what you're saying and completing it and even writing your hilarious jokes. Justin one-liner after hilarious <laughs> Justin one-liner just classic comedy by Justin over and over and over again and it just and it just every other line is Brian cackles <laughs> <laughs> mentions he loves his daughters this is amazing <laughs> very cool so that's a uh, openai.com if people want to check it out and for people to understand what what to expect, once you get access, we have a thing called a playground. You do not have to program to use this. You don't have to code. You go yeah. into the playground environment and you just start writing words. And you say complete. It'll try to complete it. It'll do this. And play with it. Think about it. Have ideas. But I encourage anyone who's curious, you do not have to be a programmer. We have, you do not need to be a programmer. In fact, the more you are in the, the world of words and stuff, you know, the more interesting it will be. Yo, man, you got, got picks. Um, yeah. yes, I have a pick. Uh, our flag means death. Oh, you beat me. You stole my pick. <laughs> you pick stealer. Wow. Uh, I, I, I pirated it from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, boy, what a, a show that only grows uh, sillier and more whimsical. The further we get into it, uh, it, you know, I, I've, the, the, like, there's a whole cultural discussion that is kind of going on with this show. And I, I, uh, uh, I think that it is very fascinating to kind of see what people take from it, but, uh, using a real story of a very brutal world, uh, uh, to examine among other things, uh, of masculinity and expectation, uh, I think is is fun. I mean, it, it is it is it is such a great uh, uh, exploration of of that. The character work is just fantastic, and uh, I'm having I'm having a really good time. It's one of the shows that's only gotten more confident the the further you get into it, and and I think that's always a good hallmark of a show is when you realize past the first three episodes, like oh that wasn't their whole 
thing. Right. There's a lot mm-hmm. more here, and it is it is growing and getting more confident the they, further it goes along. They really do just let you think in the first three episodes that, well, that's pretty much it. And I'm like, I'm already in. And yeah. then from there, they were like, well, what if we added this? You're like, what? <laughs> like, what if we added this? Yeah. What? It's <laughs> it's uh, it's great. It's extraordinary. It's, it's uh, very, it is a very, it's surprising. It was surprising and very enjoyable. And, uh, and by the way, that's how you get a season two is ending it like season one. Which oh, I've not seen. I've not seen yet. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, and I, I, I'll just say this. I think I had only watched the first three or four episodes at first. And then we, I, I had to binge. I had to watch the rest of it for Court Killers this week. And uh, not the journey I thought we were going to be on. Uh, and very, very pleasantly surprised. Uh, shockingly relevant discussion we had on the <laughs> on Thursday the Patreon episode of Great Night. <laughs> I, I did a good job of keeping my lips sealed. I thought uh, oh, I was very, as we were having that discussion, I was very excited for you to watch. Ah, very cool. Uh, we, we mentioned it prior, but anybody that hasn't heard it in her previous episode, the, the amazing thing besides how funny the show is, is that how much it was actually based on true events? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of William Steed and Blackbeard, like that's the thing. And I didn't know that, but if I knew a little pirate history, I'm like I think I remember. I knew vaguely, and then I'm like, oh yeah, no, literally, there he did. They did meet. They were buddies. They hung out, and you know, we they drew in everything else. Who knows? But I'm like, that's that alone. The major conceit of the thing is true. It's hilarious. Also, shout out to Taiko Atiti for being like, uh, yeah, I just want to dress like Aquaman. <laughs> I just kind of want to dress uh, like no. an all-black Aquaman. Wrong, and... wrong, wrong, wrong. Oh, you I'm sorry. Yes, no, shame. It's Mad Max. It's Mad Max. It does. Yeah, it does. Okay. Oh, you mean the 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 way he's dressed the with the leather and everything? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, that's that's another thing. The uh, can the, also be Aquaman. The delightful anachronistic. The Literally, nature. the missing sleeve. It's Road Warrior. I'm very passionate about this. Yeah, I, I, we hadn't I noticed. I thought everybody I didn't like, think I would love it so much when they do things yeah. like say, my bad. <laughs> like for some reason that just tickled me so much is all the, all the no, there is, there is an element of like workplace comedy that, that is, that is omnipresent through it. And obviously has been something that, that you've seen in Taika Waititi's, Especially, you know, uh, uh, well, really, I guess from the beginning with what we'll be doing, the shadows, where the and exceptional and, is yeah. is put like the funniest thing is, you know, Thor shouting, "That's my friend from work," <laughs> to the Hulk <laughs> in an arena of a space gladiator circuit or whatever. Uh, 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 but yeah, I think that there's there that that element of comedy. Do you have the Road Warrior so did I can you, see? Did you Google it? Yeah. I just had it up here. No, sorry, I was too busy talking and I didn't see it. So there's there's Taika Waititi, like you know, I thought it was just a funny joke because he has the tattoos too. That's fine, but you know, I mean, then we can see Road Warrior. Show show the Road Warrior. Okay, hold on. Yeah, wait a minute. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The leather leather jacket and the same the same one sleeve. Yeah, missing, but I don't see a dog, same. so it can't it, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't match. I don't see the Aquaman right. tattoos though. The Aquaman tattoos, <laughs> I feel right. like yeah. right. feel like Aquaman tattoos. show Aquaman. Can you bring up Aquaman? See what Aquaman looks like. I need Pitbull to play. I don't see Lisa Bonet in yours. I don't see some trident. Um Literally, when I saw the missing, I'm like, "Why does that look familiar?" I'm like, and I go, "Oh!" And I'm thinking I was the last one to get the joke. 
It does. It does make a lot more sense as as uh, uh, or it does make a lot of sense with the Road Warrior thing because there is the one mate of Blackbeards that is just wearing a studded belt on his head, like wrapped around three times, which is like there are elements of the show that are obviously anachronistic, but it's just a studded biker belt around his head, uh, uh, and it's like I was watching it last night and I'm like. That, I mean, even for this show, which can be fast and loose, like, that's a little silly. It's so great. But that it does. The, the Road Warrior thing uh, makes uh, sense. Uh, also, uh, there's, a, there's a character that shows up in the very first episode, so it's not a spoiler, but his name is Admiral Badminton, which is simultaneously the most English sport I can think of and has the word bad in it, so you know how to feel about him. There's so It's great. Uh. I'm looking, uh, oh God, what's where there really was an Admiral Badminton. <laughs> I bet there was. There probably was. Sounds English. Yeah. Um, I've got a pick. Oh. Uh, I've been keeping up with and I'm very excited to continue co-signing Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, this is a fantastic show. Uh, I I think it it is. It, we're still mid-season on it. Um so I won't talk too too much because it is there's a there's a mystery element to it there's a bit of a suspense element to it but uh, I think it's very inventive and um, I, I really enjoy um, how how much they are committing to the premise that they are doing and how much they are committed to exploring as much as they can of that world before you we have to do the story that obviously is going to happen. It's getting a lot of traction. Well, I'm hearing things, hearing things about I've, Severance. I've seen the first two episodes, and I don't know if anybody, I think you, you know, the premise is mentioned in the trailer, but I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But um, what I love in really good science fiction, in my opinion, takes one big concept, one big what if thing, and says, if this is true, what else is true? If this is true, what else is true? Bad science fiction. And you get, there's a lot of like a, a kind of lo-fi mumble sci-fi where it's like, oh, I'm a time traveler and blah, 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 with something else. Like, wait, go back to that because that's the more interesting story than you trying to meet the girl of your dreams. I'm sorry. You know, um, and, you know, because that, that's that other element means nothing. You could have worked at a Kmart ball and made the difference of here. It is a great example in the two episodes I've seen of if this is true, what else is true? If this is true, what else is true? What would this world be like? What does that really mean? The moral implications of this, they just already go deeper into this than I expected. Production design, fantastic. And you saw who the director is, of the, at least the first two. Uh, ben Siller, who is, uh, uh, he directs the first few episodes and he's like yeah. an executive producer on the show. Yeah, great, great direction, great examples of this. Like, I, I've been so far, I'm in love with the show because I think it's just it's beautifully done. A little bit first, I'm like, and then I got into it. And then uh, the premise, I'm like, oh, this is such a, it's a fresh, it's existed in fantasy and science fiction book literature, but never in, you know, Dollhouse sort of touched upon a version of that, but really the way it's explored here. It makes you can draw a lot of ethical lines and stuff. All like right. That. Since so. since both of you have stolen my two picks, <laughs> uh, uh, I did. I I thought of a quick counter example that I'll make my pick of. It is mumble sci sci-fi. It is time travel that just shrugs at it and talks about a different story instead. 
Uh, it's the Dennis Quaid vehicle Frequency, which I thought was adorable from the turn of the century. I thought it was a very cute movie. Oh, Frequency and remade into a TV show. Um, I, I don't think it's mumbles. I, I It really was a problem trying to solve a conflict in time. Uh, yeah, but but also there there's sort of a shrug, like, I don't know, the sun, time travel? Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean the method. When I mean mumble sci-fi, I mean like uh, like some hipster sort of stuff where like, I built a cardboard time machine and, and it doesn't really play oh, got out. It, got it, got it, got anything. it. Yeah, yeah. No, like that, I don't, no, I don't but Brian, regard, I don't regardless, least, my, my, my pick is frequency, and they do gloss great, over all the sci-fi uh, yeah, it's stuff. Fine. Frequency, but, is yeah. a, frequency is one of those movies. It was like like that, like butterfly effect. Like that's actually a fun movie. Like, there's a couple of yeah. Like, they, there's like no like, explanation given. He's like, uh, yeah, sometimes I just go back to things I feel real. Bad. Groundhog Day, you know? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, like cool. look, you you can do magic stories. Like, but just focus on what's interesting right. as, as opposed to the, the, what's, what's not, or, you know, there's a new movie out, or I, I just read a review for it. I don't know if it's at some festivals or something like that, that does this with like the multiverse because their, their thing was, they just kind of hate, I think it's called like everything all at once is the name of it, but it's like, uh, uh, their thing was that like the multiverse is a very hot and interesting idea to a lot of people, but mostly it's a conceit so three Spider-Men could be together. And mostly it's a conceit so you can bring back characters that have died. Uh, whereas like their their whole idea was like, no, the multiverse is the story. If there is a multiverse, we need to be talking only, only about, about exactly everything <laughs> yeah. that goes on in the multiverse. And it's fine when it's Spider-Man and, right. and you know, whatever, because that's really what we want. That, that That's fine. But if in any other story, it, that's it, the it, only thing. It's the greatest thing that's ever I, happened in the world. I, I analogy be like, like imagine, okay, I'm gonna have a school for magic and wizardry. And these kids are this one kid who is like, you know, was actually affected a way he's destined to become like one of the most powerful wizards ever. And they go to the cafeteria and they found out that they raised milk prices by 10 cents when really only a five cent milk price raise was justified. <laughs> and they decide to investigate that. Actually, I'm, if it was a comedy, it'd be great. But it was, you know, that was, was Harry was, Potter and the lunch lady, you know. <laughs> I'd be there for that. <laughs> I would. Yeah. I would feel like that would be okay in a book called Harry Plopper. I, and if Harry, yeah. if that again, happened, if Harry was, Plopper, if it was I a comedy, be fine with it. But sometimes you get stuff like, "Wait, I go back to this thing going yeah, on." What over here. This is yeah, what happened? Yeah, more interesting. Uh, yeah, there's definitely Wizards. a TV show we just finished watching that I think did not did not do that amount of thinking about the thing. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, which show? Uh, uh, we 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 officially have we finished uh, Raised by Wolves. Yeah, on. do not intend to watch season three. Yeah, we are gonna. Oh, I'm ready. I'm all set for it. I love. Oh yeah. Yeah, like I'm. I they're stacking things up. You see them stack up, but I have no idea where it's gonna go. I'm I'm still entertained. Yeah. But, um. So yeah. Uh, uh Andrew, did but, you have a pick? Yeah, and I was always got to give season two a pass because season one, we love it. And season two, the writers think they have an idea of what the audience wants. And then they go, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we should focus on Stringer Bell again. <laughs> yeah. Genre is very, very much like that, though. Remember, like, yeah. Walking Dead season two, uh, Hero season two. It's just like... Um, so my pick is uh, I finished all three seasons in very much a symptom of when we could build a world. We didn't know what to do with it. 
And I feel like the showrunner was deciding other things he could be working on by the end of that. And that is Legion. Mm. Have you seen all three seasons of Legion? I, I don't know if I made it through the third. Yeah, I don't think I finished the third or maybe I, I it became my I'll watch this going to sleep show. Um, Interesting analysis there, gentlemen. Kind of proven my point. It is Noah Hawley is incredibly talented. His, his ideas and vision, you know, he took this character, Legion, in the comic books, is Professor Charles Xavier's son, who we didn't know about initially, who is an Omega-level mutant, super, super powerful, but also has the problem of having multiple personalities. And so Noah Hawley was approached by Fox to say, hey, would you like to do something with one of the Marvel properties, one of the X-Men properties that we have? And he's like, I like Legion. I'd like to do a Legion story. And so he created this very cool... 60s-esque sort of story of David Holler dealing with his voices in his head and it turns out they're real and it kind of goes in sort of an interesting place because he gets out of the asylum and meets up with other mutants and then season two and season two is just this long road trip sort of thing that a very beautifully done very very beautifully done the characters are great uh, Bill Irwin seeing him if you remember Bill Irwin is a physical comedy he plays a great character there I just felt like there were parts of it where I go like, oh, this, if they'd made this season had been three of these mini stories, I would have loved it. But yeah. Um, I think by, bit, by I, season two, they had lost some of the plot and it was very much wrapped up in the fact that Noah Hawley can make pretty much anything visually interesting and there are enough character archetypes that are exciting and he can keep throwing new ideas like at you, but it was it was the promise of the first season being a really uh, a solid story. I felt like was kind of lost in season two, and nobody told me to watch season three, so I it, assumed that it totally spun it, out. There were also um, uh, talent changes where they kept the same character, but now they're in a new body, which means an actor who is not the actor you liked in season one is portraying the character in season three, and uh, that I think that had a lot to do with me falling off who uh, I, I uh, what's her name uh, uh aubrey plaza just just she's big in season three is she well oh yeah maybe she's i'll watch no no no, no. she becomes it. remember because she dies in season one and then comes back the right. sister with the sister's body uh okay but so it turns but, not, but aubrey yeah, plaza yeah. is still it like they, they physically make her aubrey plaza right okay yeah. I, I don't blame you for going <laughs> late in this because she does. I think first part of season two, I don't think she's as prominent there. And, yeah. you, and you sort of feel like she kind of made her exit. But then season three, she comes in, she has her own arc and what. But yeah, it's it's a like David Holler's mind. Oh, he's a lot of things. His stuff on. is great. Uh, uh, Fargo is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I know Holly. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I, I would give it like, he's a brilliant person and super smart. And I'm, He's doing the Alien TV series now. Oh, nice. I'm in. Let's see. Here we go. Gentlemen, it's been weird. Full bladder attack. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>